Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly help us to open your word with the expectation that we will be changed. Help us to the Holy Spirit to be teachable and not to be stiff-necked, to have hearts which are soft and tender for your instruction. We pray for myself that uh, I will preach it faithfully according to the whole of your scripture. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now there's a saying, um, and today is going to be very uh, lots of sayings, but uh, there's a saying which says, no man is an island. And I think uh, it's very true because no man is an island because no matter how powerful or independent or secure we are, we will never live uh, without other people. We, we cannot live without relationships. Uh, and we need relationships uh, as part of living this world. So I remember reading the Straits Times a couple of weeks ago. You may have uh, read, uh, there was a feature, I think on the Sunday or the Saturday paper about this uh, Singapore journalist who was jailed in, in, uh, in, uh, in China and how uh, as part of his punishment uh, for officially leaking, I mean, supposedly leaking official secrets, he was given solitary confinement where the guards wouldn't talk to him. He couldn't read the newspaper, he couldn't watch TV and he had no contact with the outside. And when I was reading the article, he said that within one month or within four weeks, he felt that he was actually going mad and he wanted to commit suicide. So, he actually said that solitary conformment was the worst form of torture you could have. And I think that's the point, isn't it? That we cannot live without relationships. But the reality is, is that relationships in themselves can actually be hurtful and harmful to us. So, I remember I used this illustration uh, many times before about how uh, I read this book called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And uh, the one thing I can remember from this book is that one of the reasons why zebras don't get ulcers is because they only worry about what they eat and where they rest, and they're not really uh, worried about relationships. Whereas for humans, the main cause of stress in our life is usually not food or shelter or water, but relationships. Relationships is what gives us the most stress. So today, as we look at uh, God's Word, it looks very closely in terms of friendships and community, neighbors, and how to live wisely in relationship with other people. And I think that hopefully if we learn from today what God's Word says, it will take away a lot of the stress which comes out of these relationships. So the first thing, uh, if you look at my outline, uh, which you would have received when you came in, uh, the outline will help you understand where I'm going because it's, 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 uh, there are a few things I want to say which I've taken from God's Word. The first section I want to look at is friends to avoid. Actually, it shouldn't be called friends, right? Or people to avoid. Okay? So the first part I want to talk about is the people we should avoid according to God's word, especially as we look at the book of Proverbs, is people who are bad influencers. If they are bad influencers, if they are wicked or evil, we should avoid these people. So if you look up here on the slide, okay, we've uh, just had this passage read to us by Karis, and you'll see that it's the idea of how the son is being instructed by the father to avoid making friends with those who lead them along the wrong path. But chapter 1, verse 10 to 19, is not the only section which talks about not mixing with bad company. Uh, if you look at the next slide, we'll go back and forth between the two slides and you understand why the different colors are there. The second section, in chapter 13, chapter 16, and chapter 22, again, it warns the reader, warns the son or the daughter, that they must avoid the company of wicked and evil people. So in chapter 13, verse 20, it says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay, and chapter 16, verse 29, A violent man entices his neighbor 
and leads him down a path that is not good. Okay, in chapter 22, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate to, uh, with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, if you look at these four passages from the book of Proverbs, um, there's a three-step process involved here when you make friends with wicked or evil people. So I'm going to go through and you'll see what the different colors now mean. The first thing is, when you make friends with these people, right, something happens. So in chapter 1, verse 15, back, go back again. So if you, if you go along with them, if you set foot on their paths, if you make friends with them, that's the first step, right? So the first step, if you make friends with them, okay, something will happen. So the, the next slide, the yellow. So if you look, right, do not walk with, the, with the, those who are uh, foolish, um, and it talks about the neighbor. Okay, we're going to talk about the neighbor later on because actually the, the Hebrew word for neighbor literally means someone who is close. It can mean someone who is close as in your neighbor next door physically or someone who is close relationally. So it can be friend or neighbor, same word. So do not make friends, right? Do not be a neighbor or friend to this person. And chapter 22, do not make friends okay, with a hot-tempered person. So the first step in the process is making friends. Then the second step from observation in the book of Proverbs is when you make friends with these sort of people, angry people, uh, foolish people, violent people, wicked people, is you will learn from them. Okay, you will learn from them. And that's why it says there you will learn his ways or you will become enticed and walk down the same path. Okay, chapter 1 says the same thing in chapter 1 verse 10. If you go back again, right, they will entice you. So the idea is that you mix with people, you become friends with these people, you come close to these wicked or evil people, you will learn and adopt and share the same sins. The idea of enticement is the idea of being deceived or seduced uh, to do the wrong thing. And then comes step three, right? So after you make friends and you learn from them, then you will come to a bad end. You will suffer harm. So chapter 13, verse 20, the next slide again, sorry. Uh, the, the orange color, right? You will suffer harm. And you'll go come to an end which is not good and you'll be ensnared in your ways. Now, I think when I reflect on my own life, that's true. Okay? I, I, I don't seem to have lived that long a life compared to some of you. But in my short life, right, I've also experienced that when you make friends with wicked people, you learn from them and, and bad things happen. So I became a Christian fairly late in my life. She seems like uh, this series on Proverbs, I share all the bad things that happened to me. And I um, finally became a Christian when I was 21. And so before I was, uh, became a Christian, I used to hang out with these group of friends. And they were not very good people. Uh, they used to speed on the road. They used to drink a lot. I remember waiting one Christmas morning with my friend for his girlfriend who had passed out drunk. Okay, so these are the sort of friends I hung around with. And... Um, and then one day I was driving along and I was thinking, you know, this is really not very good that I hang out with these people. Something bad is going to happen. So sure enough, I, I, I stopped mixing around with them. And not too long later, uh, four of my friends were involved in a car accident. And they were all ended up in hospital. And because they were, he was going so fast, he crashed into a, a tree. Well, actually, the tree went in front of the car, right? So, so I mean, if I hung around these people, right, I, would have, I, would have, I would have come to a bad end together with these friends. Uh, another friend of mine... I used to hang around with as well. He got so drunk that he drove into a whole row of parked cars and his girlfriend had to jump out of the car during the time and I was there as well. So, you know, it's not good to hang around 
bad people because you learn these things and you pick up these bad habits and bad things happen. Uh, I remember when I was studying in Australia, I was hanging around another group of friends. I must mix with a lot of bad friends when I was young. And uh, we were walking around midnight around a train station. I can't understand why I was walking so late around a train station. But um, we walked past another group of people and uh, they had some goals with them. And for whatever reason, uh, in his wisdom, one of my friends called his, this guy's girlfriend a bush pig, which I don't think uh, was a complimentary phrase. And this so happens that this friend had another gang with him and they decided to chase us. So then we had to jump onto the railroad tracks and run off into the night. So I remember telling my friend, I said, next time you're going to say that, can you please not do it when I'm around? <laughs> right? So, you see, if you, if you hang around with bad, wicked people, then you will learn from these behaviors and bad things will happen as a result. But, I think that if you look at the book of Proverbs, especially in chapter 1, it is not just a bad result, a bad end from an earthly point of view, but more importantly, from an eternal point of view, bad things will happen. You will become ruined and destroyed because of hanging around wicked people. So if you go back to chapter 1 again, look at what it says. It says that these people... uh, think they're going to uh, ambush people, right? But actually, they, they spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie and wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Now, it's really strange because when you think of the analogy or the metaphor or the visual picture that's being painted, it's like wicked people are going to ambush innocent people to rob them. But yet, they are lying in full view of God, isn't it? God can see all the wicked things which are going to happen. And they themselves end up taking their own lives. So in the book of Proverbs, the stakes are very high. Not only will you come to a bad end in this world, but if you mix with wicked and evil people and they influence you and you've thrown your lot with them, you will come to judgment and God's wrath because of your wickedness and your actions. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, Next slide. Verse 14 to 18, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Balaam? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, we often think that this passage just applies to marriage. Do not be yoked to the unbelievers. But actually, the picture of being yoked is the picture that comes from a farming analogy. It just talks about animals being tied close together. So if you look at the next slide, the idea of being yoked is like cows or sheep being yoked together when they plow the field. So it's not just talking about marriage. It's talking about any relationship where you come really close together with those who are unbelievers or those who are wicked or, or, or evil. And it means that when you associate so closely with these people, you get influenced by their behavior. So it doesn't mean that we do not make friends with those who are non-believers or try to reach out to those who are wicked and evil, but avoid becoming so close to them that your behavior, your values and your character are influenced by them. So the application for me is, as I look to ourselves as Christians, who are the friends that we choose? Who are the people we choose to become close to? Who are the people that we choose to have influence over us? 
Now, obviously, this is an older crowd than the second service. But, you know, when we choose our friends, do we do it because they are part of the in crowd? Because they are funny or rich or popular or good looking? No, we should choose by different criteria. We should choose by God's criteria. We should choose people who are going to lead us in a good direction, not a bad direction. Uh, Lead us in our Christian walk, not away from Christ. We should choose our friends based on an eternal perspective, from a Christian perspective. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, next slide, it says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. This is Paul speaking, right? So when we look at the world, we do not look at the world to the world's, the eyes of the world. And we say, okay, we want to be friends with this guy because he's a good sportsman, or he's rich, or he drives a nice car, or she is a very successful person. No, we see things through Christ's eyes and we say, is this person going to lead us in a good direction, in a godly direction towards Christ, or are they going to lead us away? So if this person is a dangerous, evil, wicked person who would lead us into harm and influence us that way, then we should seek to not be influenced by them and become friends with them that way. So that's the first sort of person that we should avoid, which is wicked or evil people. The second group of people we should avoid are unreliable people. Okay, unreliable people. So next slide. Since the poor are shunned even by their neighbours, but the rich have many friends. The well brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. And whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his seed. Now this is not talking about exactly wicked or evil people, but it talks about unreliable people. So in chapter 14 and chapter 19, it talks about friends, right? Friends, friends. But they're sort of like friends in inverted brackets. They're not really friends. They are more like people who want to be your friends because you can give them something. They want something from you. Uh, money or influence, or prestige. So they come to you, but they are unreliable because one day, that friendship will end when they no longer can get something from you. I remember I had friends of mine in university who I was close friends with, but today, they are very, very successful, and I no longer see them, and they no longer see the friends that I hang around with too, uh, from university. Why? Because they are much, they mix in a higher social circle. Right? They, they do things, and they go on holidays, and they, go, they, they take in things that we can no longer afford. So they're no longer friends with us. So it's like they are, they are friends who will only be here for a season in life. Well, the Bible says that you know, these are unreliable friends and you should not invest great time with them. In chapter 29, again, it says, whoever flatters his neighbor. Now, again, the word neighbor here is the word which means close person, right? Close as in physically close, your neighbor, or close as in relationally close. So it could mean friend or neighbor. So it says, if you, if you find someone who flatters you, but actually, flattery is a bad thing. Flattery is where someone wants to say good things to you, but it's not based on sincerity. They just want to butter you up. They want to make you feel good because they want to win and gain favor from you. So, these sort of friends or these sort of neighbors are unreliable people because they want something from you. Now, unfortunately, we see that all the time. I remember when I was working, People were very nice to me because of my position at work, because they wanted information or they needed me to do things for them. But then after I left the position and went somewhere else, they no longer were friendly. Why? Because they were 
They only wanted something from me that I could give them there and then. Now, fortunately, this happens at church. Uh, at church, I've heard of cases in other churches where people actually come to church and they actually want to make friends with people who are rich or have business contacts. They actually just want to be friends not because of who you are, but because of what they can get out of you. Well, the Bible says you must watch out for these people. These are unreliable people. Now, the third group of people that we should avoid are what I call tricky people. Okay? So, you'll, you'll see what I mean. These are tricky people. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor or a friend and says, I was only joking. A quick-tempered man does foolish things and a crafty man is hated. Now, a perverse person, uh, the word perverse here literally means the opposite of righteous. This person has upside-down values. They hold values which are opposite to God's values. Uh, gossip is someone talks behind your back. And uh, there is a person who deceives his friend or his neighbor. And there's a quick-tempered man and a crafty person. A crafty person is a scheming person. He has plans, but you can't see them. And usually these plans are selfish. Now, why do I call these people tricky people? Well, I couldn't find the right phrase, but I have this book, uh, which I, I got my sister to buy for me, called Tricky People. All right? How to deal with horrible types before they ruin your life. And uh, when I was looking at the appendix of this book, uh, it's actually, the contents page is actually the same as what Proverbs is saying. You know, he's saying, okay, avoid people who are backstabbers and white anters. These people undermine you. You know, a lot of white ants, right? They eat away at the foundation. So these are the sort of people who are gossips, who are crafty. You know, they're actually undermining you, but you don't realize it. Uh, avoid people who are blamers or whingers. Avoid people who are bullies and tyrants. And these tricky people will always make your life painful and difficult. And whether it be close friends or acquaintances. So let me give you an illustration again from my terrible past. So you know like uh, the case where my friend drove his car into all, my drunken friend drove his car into all the car, park cars. Uh, I accompanied him to court uh, when, after that happened. And then when I was on my way there, he said to me, he said, you know, you could have stopped me from uh, driving to all those cars. And I said, but why? He said, because you have my car keys. And I said, yeah, but then you were going to beat me up if I didn't give it to you. And I said, then he said, yeah, yeah, you should have thrown it away and you should have let me beat you up. And I was like, no, I don't think so, right? You really, really wanted your car keys. See, the thing is, when you, when you meet with tricky people, it, it, it always makes the relationship difficult because they, are, they have traits or characteristics which make a close relationship with them difficult. So, the perverse person, the gossip, the angry, hot-tempered person, the crafty person, the deceiver, the one who makes jokes and deceives you. For well, these people are friends that you should avoid because they make life difficult for you. If they're Obviously, if they're your relative, well, you can't do anything about it. But these are people who will make life uh, difficult and you should choose to keep your distance from them. Now, I think one thing we have to realize is that in the New Testament, it says very clearly that tricky behavior is unacceptable in a church context. Gossiping, craftiness, shiftiness, deception... Uh, anger, all those things are, are inappropriate for those who have the Holy Spirit within us. 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 verse 12, it says, um, this is obviously Paul's angry with the church. He said, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. and Everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, slander, or arrogance, and disorder. See, all those things are tricky behavior, right? It's, they're, they're, and they've been classed as sinful behavior. Now, I know of a church, unfortunately, where uh, they've lost like three pastors in the last eight years or something. And, and a lot of it has to do with, with gossiping, undermining, uh, having factions and anger and everything. But it's inappropriate, especially for leaders of the church, to behave in that way because that's, that's not godly behavior. So I found this uh, cartoons in a book somewhere, which uh, unfortunately show the reality of some uh, churches, which is all too uh, wrong, about how you know, Christians behave in, in an ungodly way. So you know, there's argument and anger and, and jealousy and faction. Okay, next slide. All right. Okay, so here there's there's like warfare within the church. All right. Okay, then the next one, the gossiping. Right. So you know the idea where we we try to gossip about things within church. Okay, all these things are not right. And as Christians, we should not behave this way. Okay. Okay. You can, you've read it all. All right. Good. Okay, now we come to the next part, which is friends to have. Okay, these are the people that we should strive to put our energies in to become good friends and also to have friends who are like this. So these are brothers and sisters who will be reliable people in difficult times. It says a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In chapter 18, verse 24. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Chapter 17, verse 17. Do not forsake your friend or the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a, near, a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Now, when I say to you the word friend, what comes to mind? Because friend means different things to different people. Now, friend can mean that uh, anyone who clicked the accept button on my, uh, my Facebook uh, page, right? Uh, a friend can be someone you haven't seen in 20 years and uh, you just see the photographs of. But that's, that's not what a friend is in terms of a biblical understanding, you see, because we do not have hundreds of friends. Uh, if you look at Facebook, you know, some people have hundreds of friends. See, friendship is not a mile wide and an inch deep. Right. It says here, a friend is someone who is more than an acquaintance. He's even, a close friend is even better than a blood relative. So look at chapter 17, verse 17. This, the, the, this is an interesting proverb because it doesn't contrast or compare a friend to a relative, but it says there right, that actually a friend can become even closer than a blood relative or uh, you know, uh, uh, someone who's genetically related to you, that this friend, during times of adversity, is someone who is more reliable than even your blood relative. It says there that uh, he can become a brother. Now, I know that sometimes, you know, we say, ah, yeah, brother, brother, we're all brothers, right? Hey, brother, how are you, right? But in biblical terms, 
really, a friend can be even closer than a genetic brother. A friend in need is a friend indeed. In chapter 27, verse 10, it says the same thing. That during a hard times, help can sometimes not be found, be found among family, but can be found among your friends. These are the ones who will, who will step in and help you during these times. And that's why in chapter 18, verse 24, it says that you can have many companions, many companions, but many acquaintances, but if you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, you can avoid ruin. So, let me ask you, when you look at the people that you have, are they acquaintances, are they companions, or are they friends, real friends, people you can rely on, people that you can trust in times of need? Now, my parents both uh, suffered cancer uh, not too long ago, within the last decade. And my, uh, my mum used to play lots and lots of tennis. My dad used to play lots and lots of golf. And when they were diagnosed with cancer at different times, they both had to give up their sport. And I think the one thing that really disappointed them was that they invested a lot of time with uh, their tennis friends and their golf friends. But then when they had cancer, they found that many of these friends that they had from tennis and golf uh, no longer were really their friends. Uh, after a few weeks or a few months of not playing tennis or golf, they didn't see them anymore. And it was only one or two people who would keep visiting them and seeing them and calling them and asking them how they were. Because you can pour a lot of energy into people who are interested in activity, but they're not necessarily your friends, right? Friends who will be reliable, who will be like brothers and sisters in times of need. So the one thing that I think is really important for us to realize is we should look for these sort of friends to cultivate them to become really good friends and be good friends. Now, I remember reading this book a long time ago. Uh, you probably never heard this guy. He's called Arthur Ashe. The first black man to win at Wimbledon. And this is what he says, right? He was a Christian man. Unfortunately, he died from a blood transfusion of AIDS. And he said that, um, I make it a point to keep in touch with friends from my childhood in Richmond. I cannot help but think that childhood friends are the bedrock of all one's future relationships and that you move away from them at your risk. There is an African proverb to which I believe, hold on to your friends with both hands. And I think it's true, isn't it? We, we need to value friendships, especially good friendships, because in times of need, that's when they will come to help us. So first of all, we must have good friends, reliable friends. The second thing is, we must look for good influences. Like someone said, they must be people who will lovingly confront us and not be spiritual wimps. So in chapter 27, verse 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one, one man sharpens another. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. See, good friends will be those who will be willing to hurt you because they want to correct you and they want to make you the best person that you can be. Uh, I think that's a, one of the weaknesses of Facebook that I find is that you, it's very hard for you to actually sharpen someone up because basically Facebook is just uh, a vehicle for getting self-approval, right? Everybody like this picture? Yes. Okay? I like this. Everybody likes something, right? 
But the thing is, good friends do more than just like your photograph or your holiday. They actually want to make you a better person. They actually will be willing to rebuke you and sharpen you up. So again, I remember this story by uh, this psychologist. Uh, and he, he tells a story about how he specializes in youth suicide. And he says that actually all young people need three groups of people. He said they need family, and they need friends, and they need a mentor. And he gave an illustration, uh, he didn't give an illustration, but I read an illustration from another book where the parents didn't want the son to get a motorcycle, because you know, motorcycle riding is dangerous. And uh, the son finally said, okay, I will not get a motorcycle. And why? Because his friend told him that only people with rocks in their head would ride a motorcycle. So, his, the child actually listened to his friend rather than his parents. Not that that's right, right? But I'm saying that you need friends who will tell you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. That's what a good friend will do. He will tell you what he or she will tell you what is the right thing to do rather than to try to please you. Now these friends must obviously have some wisdom. And that's where it is important to have good, wise friends. No point people rebuking you to do the wrong thing. Right? Yes, 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 you should get divorced. No, that's not the right sort of friend that you need. So these friends not only need to be God, good friends who are not spiritual wimps who will instruct and teach and correct you, but they also need to be godly and righteous and wise. So in chapter 12, verse 26, okay, now I notice if you look in your Bibles, it's got uh, two different ways of reading it, but I, I would prefer the second way of reading it. It says, a righteous man is cautious in friendship, or it can be is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So the NASB also has a, has, takes the second reading. A righteous is, the righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, it's not that people who do not have wisdom, or are not righteous or godly, deliberately want to lead you astray and do the wrong thing. It's that they, they themselves don't have the light, they themselves don't know what is the right way. So they cannot lead you on the right way. It's like, how can I teach you what is right if I myself don't know what is right? So, uh, again, I was reading this book a long time ago, the How the Good People Make Tough Choices. And they said that actually there was a real story, a true story told about in America, how a 10-year-old boy in New York found a wallet. He was very poor. He found a wallet on the floor and it was filled with money. So he went to his school and he asked his teachers, what should I do with this wallet? Should I return it to the person or should I keep the money? And he went around to various teachers and all the teachers said, well, actually, we can't tell you what's the right thing for you to do. Because, you know, you're quite a poor person and maybe if you give the money back, your mom will be very angry at you because this person maybe doesn't need the money as much as you do. So you've got to, we can't impose our values on you. You've got to choose what's right for yourself. And apparently this real case study was discussed in one of the leading universities in America, a liberal arts college. And most of the students said, yes, that was the right thing to do. We shouldn't impose our values on this young boy. He should decide for himself what is right and wrong. Now, I wouldn't want a friend like that, would I? Because, I mean, as in the teachers, because they can't tell me what's right and wrong. Uh, I've got to find out everything myself. They are not actually giving me any direction. They are living in a, in a moral vacuum. And if you have friends like this, if you surround yourself with friends who are unwilling to tell you to do the right thing, 
and they themselves don't know what the right thing is, you will be led astray. There is no doubt about it. Now, a very sad case of, is a friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine, who I knew from a long time ago, who wandered far away from God. He, uh, he, he you know, gone to bad things. And I asked him, I said, didn't you have anybody in your church to share your problems with, your struggles, so that they could support you and tell you what the right thing was? Well, he said, no, he didn't. In fact, his closest friend, the one that he mixed with most, was the guy that he used to play poker with every week. Now, this guy who he plays poker with was not going to be able to say to him while they're playing poker, hey, you know, I think you should go and do this because this person is not a Christian. Because this uh, friend of mine didn't have any good, wise and godly friends, he was unable to sustain a godly life on his own because there was not the environment for him to teach him what the right thing to do was. Now, as Christians, all of us here, okay, I want you to really pay attention, all of us here have a responsibility to each other to help one another in our Christian walk, in our Christian faith. It says in um, Colossians chapter 3, which is up here, let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. And let the word of God, sorry, the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you, you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now what I really want to focus on is all of us have a responsibility to teach and admonish one another, not just the pastor or your Bible study leader. Now to admonish is to warn, or to exhort, or to instruct. Now that's what good friends do, isn't it? We are all called to be good, godly, and wise friends who will teach and admonish one another. So when we have conversations at church, what are our conversations filled with? Do we just talk about very superficial things like, you know, my, my, my soccer team won last week, uh, what I cooked last week, what I ate last week, what restaurants I went to? No, we must be willing to share the deeper level and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this sin. I'm feeling really down. Uh, I must be really willing to converse with one another and share one another at a different level than maybe I do at Facebook. Now, I was reading uh, on uh, this accountability software uh, uh, website about how one out of every 25 websites, they estimate, on the internet is, is pornographic. And one out of every eight web searches is for erotic content. And according to a survey published by the journal of the American Psychological Association, 86% of men are likely to click on internet sex sites if given the opportunity. So how do you resist that sort of temptation? Well, how do you resist the temptation of the world around us? Well, we need good friends. Godly, wise friends who keep us accountable and say, look, are you struggling with sin? Are you, how are you dealing with that problem that you told me about? We cannot be indifferent to one another. We cannot be like um, this accountability software partner that I heard of, you know, because accountability basically is where you, you when you're on the internet, Everything you see gets reported to someone else. And this is called an accountability software partner. Anyway, so this guy was struggling and he saw some pornography on the internet and he was waiting for his accountability partner to get back to him and say, Hey, why did you go to all these websites? But then he never got a call from his accountability partner. He never got an email. And when they met up, his, his partner didn't mention it at all. He obviously forgot about everything. Maybe he didn't even check. 
Now that is not a good friend, right? Because that sort of friend is not going to keep you accountable. Now, I was reading this book. You all think I'm reading all these books, right? But uh, this marriage book, and uh, David, oh, sorry, Christopher Ash says a very, very wise thing. He says, when a person is finding marriage hard and beginning to wonder whether it's he or she will be better, up, better off giving up or taking steps to break the marriage, a vital part of the decision-making is how other significant people around him or her will view such a situation. So let's say you're having trouble with your marriage. If you go and see your friends and they all shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, you should do what's right for yourself. You know, you should go and find joy. And uh, you should do what you feel. It's, 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 uh, you know, if there's no love there, you should go and find love for yourself. Then it's more likely that the person will get divorced. But if you go and see your friends and your friends say, oh no, it would be terrible if you got divorced. You should really work at this. You should do the right thing. Then you're more likely to say, yes, I will go and do that thing. Because I've counseled many people in divorces and a lot of times it is because of the whispering voices in their head which say, yeah, yeah, you know, you know your partner, yeah, you, you, you should move on, you should move on. And they do move on because their friends give them the wrong advice. So we should teach and admonish one another. We should even offend one another if that person is doing the wrong thing. Now the last point is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And it talks about how since we are now confident that we are right before God, right, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, you sort of think that if I was writing the book of Hebrews, or you were writing, okay, that we'll, we'll finish that. I said, hold on tight. Hold on tight to your faith. But notice what the writer of Hebrews tells us. It says that we have a responsibility to each other to make sure that we keep holding on to our faith. Because he says, and let us, not let you or me, right? he says, let us together consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So some people ask the question, can I be a Christian and not go to church? Well, my answer is yes, but why would you not want to? Because God actually says that church is not the four walls of a building, but church is a community which helps sustain us and help us grow as Christians in the way that we live, in the way that we think, as in our character. We are to be real friends to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are to help keep each other going. So just like a flock of birds are flying, right? They don't fly individually, they fly together because they can go further together. So as Christians, we need to help one another in our Christian walk as we wait for Jesus to return. The way we should see church, right, is that we are all in this big lifeboat. Okay, we're all in the big lifeboat. We're waiting to be saved by Jesus Christ. And all, you know, every once in a while, people are falling out of the lifeboat and drowning into the ocean. But our role in the lifeboat is to make sure that people don't fall out to make sure they, are, they, they keep being in Christ, 
to make sure they're living rightly before God and are saved. Now I know that uh, all of us have our seasons where we go up and down in our Christian life. Sometimes we feel stronger, sometimes we feel lower, sometimes we struggle with different things. I remember in my first year as a Christian, I started work and I had a stomach ulcer. And uh, it was a really low point in my Christian life because I didn't like my work and I had a stomach ulcer and I was struggling as a Christian. But this Christian brother from church came to visit me almost every week. And he kept praying with me and reading the Bible with me. And because of that, I'm a Christian today. So, are you a friend to someone like that? Or is someone being a friend to you like that? Because that's what church is about, isn't it? It's about us helping one another in our times of need to keep encouraging one another and being helped by each other. If I don't come to church, it's not just because it's a consumer view of what I can learn. But if, if I don't come to church, then I'm missing out on this and I'm missing out on helping other people. So, is that what you are doing? Are you being a good friend to other people at church and other people being good friends to you? In conclusion, okay, uh, this is my book review sermon, right? Uh, there was a, there's a book called Bowling Alone. I haven't read it myself, but I know what it's about. And it's about how, uh, basically, in America, there are more people who are bowling, but there are few people who are bowling together in leagues, in, in a club. So that's why it's called Bowling Alone. Because there are lots of people bowling, but they're bowling alone, by themselves. And it's a picture of uh, what, what they call in America, where there's a, there's a breakdown in, in social capital, in social relationships. So, people in America belong to fewer organizations, they know their neighbors less, they meet with their friends less frequently, and they socialize with their families even less often. And it's said that in America now, there's an age where there are disposable relationships. They live in an age of disposable relationships where friendships, relationships are all disposable. They come and they go. Now, as Christians, we do not believe in disposable relationships. We believe that relationships, especially good, godly, wise friends, relationships within church, are valuable. And you need to hold on to them, and you need to be like that for other people, so that we will continue on in our Christian walk. So what sort of friends do you have? What sort of friends do you have? Are they filled with unreliable people, wicked and evil people, tricky people? Or are you, your friends those who are wise and godly, reliable people? Are you yourself wise and reliable and godly to other people? Now I know that um, according to this book, he said that on, uh, one of the problems in America, why they're so uh, poor, there's, why there's a breakdown in relationships, and why so many people have so few friends? It's because people move on average once every five years. So people no longer, no longer invest in uh, relationships because they know, well, I'm going to be friends with this person, but they're going to leave in five years' time, so what's the point? And I think that we cannot have this sort of disposable relationship mentality in churches. I know of a Christian friend of mine. Uh, he moved house uh, four times in the last 20 years. But because he moved house four times in 20 years, he moved church four times in the last 20 years. And because of that, his wife no longer goes to church, his children no longer go to church, and he struggles as a Christian. And I think that that's exactly the point, isn't it? Because he's lost his relationships. He doesn't have those close, wise, godly relationships anymore because he's moved around so often 
that, that he's failed to sustain those relationships. And my point, as I close this sermon, is it is really, really important for your Christian life and for the Christian life of those people around you that you value and cherish the, the wise and godly and good relationships you have with other Christians, whether here in church, or in your Bible study, or cell group, whatever. But you need those relationships to keep you going in Christ. And whether you yourself should be those sort of friends to other people. Because in God's word, we cannot survive by ourselves. Uh, we will lose our faith. We will, the passion will die. Our faith will die. We need these good relationships to keep each other going. So let us make sure we are really good friends to one another. Not spiritual wimps, but wise friends who will guide one another and hold each other accountable and encourage one another in good and bad times. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you, we pray that you will help us to see how church is not a building, it's not activity, but it is relationships in Christ. We pray that we will invest in relationships, that we will hold on to our relationships with two hands strongly, uh, that we will be good, wise, faithful friends, that as iron sharpens iron, we will sharpen each other, that we will guide and keep each other accountable, we will teach and admonish one another, that we will encourage one another till Jesus comes. We pray that we ourselves will never take our relationships for granted, but continue to always nurture them and to see the true value of church and fellowship in our life. We pray that you may keep us from the wicked and the evil person, the one who will lead us only to sin and to a bad end. We pray that you may keep us as well from the unreliable and those who uh, have bad characteristics will cause us pain Dear Father, help us to see how important it is that the people around us, the people that you have blessed us with, will sustain us in the long run and help us to be transparent. Help us to be open in our communications so that we may be open to other people helping us as we help them. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.